Uh, good morning. It's very loud. Uh, my name is Roger Lewis and uh, welcome to St Nick's today. Uh, if you have your bulletin, you might see there uh, just what I've said. Welcome to St Nick's today, 19th of November 2023. Uh, so it's good to see you here. And uh, <coughs> if you've um, been coming the last few weeks, you might know we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, as is mentioned there. We're in the middle of a theme about the Gospel of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark is a book, one of the books of the Bible, uh, where the life of Jesus is told, and it's told uh, the accounts given by uh, his follower by the name of Mark. And you'll see there, as we've just heard read, we've, uh, in the end of chapter 2 in the book of Mark and going into the beginning of chapter 3 in the book of Mark. And uh, the theme is Lord of the Sabbath. So that's the title of today's talk. But before I start on that, let me pray. This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Well, the title of today's uh, message, as I said, is The Lord of the Sabbath. And it reminded me of some other things. You might have watched the Eurovision Song Contest earlier this year, and the representative from Germany was the rock band uh, Lord of the Lost. I don't know if anyone saw that. You might have been, there was a dance uh, musical that was around a few years ago, Lord of the Dance. Did anyone see that? Maybe. There's a book now, major motion picture, Lord of the Rings. Okay, so uh, today we're talking about Lord of the Sabbath. But I'd like to start with that song, Lord of the Dance. And uh, you may not have heard this song. Let me uh, read you the lyrics, how it begins. I danced in the morning when the world was begun. And I danced in the moon and the stars and the sun. It's a bit weird, but let's read on. I came down from heaven and I danced on earth. At Bethlehem I had my birth. All right, so that was the giveaway. This is about Jesus. I danced for the scribe and the Pharisee, but they would not dance. They wouldn't follow me. And that's what happened. Uh, there were some people who didn't follow Jesus. I danced for the fishermen, for James and John. They came with me, and the dance went on. And again, that's what happened. Some people did follow Jesus. I danced on a Sabbath, and I cured the lame. The holy people said it was a shame. You can just hear them, tut, tut, what a shame. They whipped and they stripped, and they hung me high, and they left me there on a cross to die. That's a pretty rapid transition from just, this is a shame, and suddenly... Jesus is on the cross dying. Well, why did Jesus die? There are a number of answers to this, but what was the cause of Jesus' death? You may know he didn't die a natural death. He was executed. He was executed uh, as, as a criminal. But what had he done wrong? Uh, had he been a murderer? Uh, was he someone who stole state secrets and sold them to the enemy? Uh, what heinous crime would it be that would cause him to be uh, executed, to deserve capital punishment? Well, according to the song, it was because he cured someone on a Sabbath. I danced on the Sabbath and I cured the lame. The holy people said it was a shame. They whipped and they stripped and they hung me high and they left me there on a cross to die. According to the song, the trigger to Jesus dying was him healing someone. Is that right? 
Well, if we look at the passage we just heard read, and you might like to follow it along in your Bible, or I think it'll appear on the screen, in Mark chapter 3, just at the end of the passage we read, uh, at verse 5 of chapter 3, we read this. We might, we, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus uh, looked around at them, the Pharisees in anger, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and he was completely restored. So we have this, uh, this dramatic healing. And then if we go to the next verse, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You might think if you'd seen someone be healed, that would be a reason to praise the healer, to praise Jesus. Instead, the Pharisees saw it as a reason to kill Jesus. Why is that? Well, we'll come back to their reasoning in a moment, but let me make two observations about uh, these two verses we've just seen about this healing. The first observation is the Pharisees didn't question the healing being real. Maybe when you read that story, you think, how could Jesus have just healed a man like that? That can't have, can't have happened. But the Pharisees didn't question it. They didn't think uh, it's some sort of trick. Uh, maybe the man wasn't really injured. Uh, perhaps it was an optical illusion. Maybe the man and Jesus got together and Jesus said, just pretend you're sick and then I'll, I'll pretend to heal you. No, the Pharisees recognized the healing was real. Because if, if Jesus hadn't healed the man, the Pharisees wouldn't have had any case or any reason to, um, to be upset with Jesus. So these people who were there at the time accepted that the healing did really take place. The second observation in this particular healing, Jesus didn't make any physical contact with the sick person. He didn't uh, prescribe a pill. He didn't massage the hand. He didn't give an injection. Uh, he just said the word. He said, stretch out your hand and the man was healed. Now Jesus didn't always heal like this. In some other uh, times Jesus healed, you may remember he stretched out and he touched uh, a leprous man. He touched a leper, which was a thing you didn't do. Jesus touched that person at that time. Another time he put mud on someone's eyes and they could see. But this time Jesus didn't have any physical contact at all. He just healed by his word. And again, the Pharisees didn't question this. They didn't say, wow, how did that happen? Or what, what's going on here? They accepted that Jesus had done this amazing thing. So Jesus really heals someone in a miraculous, contactless way. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Why is that? Well, we have to look at the Sabbath and what the Pharisees thought of the Sabbath. So we have to go right back to the beginning of the Bible, right back to the first page of the Bible to find out where this all began. And we read on the first page of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 that the world was made in seven days. And on the sixth day, God made mankind. Then we read, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the origin of the Sabbath, God resting from his work on the seventh day. Now, the Sabbath was later enshrined in the Ten Commandments. In fact, of the Ten Commandments, the one to do with the Sabbath is the Fourth Commandment. 
And we heard it read uh, earlier by Josh from the book of Exodus from chapter 20. These words, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. On it you shall do no work. So between that time when that command was given under the time of Moses uh, to Jesus' day, uh, hundreds of years had passed and a whole lot of uh, additions and interpretations were added to that relatively simple commandment. And it's a bit like the rules and regulations that are created around fasting that you might have heard uh, Paul talk about last week. It was a simple idea to begin with, but then it was bound up with a lot of complicated uh, additional rules and regulations. So in the case of the Sabbath, what had begun as a day of rest, just doing nothing, very simple, a day of rest and refreshment, now had become entangled in rules and restrictions and regulations about what work was and what work could and couldn't be done. So apparently, work was divided into 39 different categories, and uh, category number three was to do with reaping or gathering grain, and this is where the disciples got into trouble. So let's go back to the start of the passage, if we may, back to uh, verse 23 of chapter 2 of Mark, and you see there on this, on this one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And if we go to the next verse, uh, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, I've read that the disciples were breaking not one, but three uh, regulations here. By picking off the heads of corn, rolling them in their fingers and chewing them, they were reaping, threshing and preparing food on the Sabbath day. So, you know, how ba bad is that? Now, I asked at 8 a.m. what people might have had for breakfast. I've just come from um, down at the um, coffee club and I had some um, smashed avocado on sour bread with a poached egg on the side. Uh, but um, Matthew Henry, talking about this verse and what the disciples ate, a few grains, um, he says, what a poor breakfast Christ's disciples had on a Sabbath day morning when they were going to church. Um, they were poor, you know, Jesus' followers didn't have a lot. lot. Um, they just... Uh, collected this grain that was left over for people who didn't have much uh, for, the, for the poor, for the sojourner to, to eat on. So that's what the disciples were doing. Now, Jesus doesn't accept the Pharisees' argument that they were, they were doing wrong, that they were breaking the law. And he gives an example in the next verses to do with David and what happened uh, in the history books uh, with King David. And he concludes this, uh, if you like, historical argument in verse 27 with uh, this statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so, of course, this statement uh, sums up what we were looking at before from the Old Testament. We see from the beginning of the Bible that it was people who came first. Humankind were made on day six before the day of rest, which, uh, which was on day seven. People were there before the Sabbath. People came first, the Sabbath uh, came later. And then... In the giving of the Ten Commandments, I think we need to realize that these commandments were given after God had rescued his people out of Egypt, after the Exodus. The Ten Commandments aren't rules to follow to, uh, to gain God's favor. God didn't say, keep the Sabbath, then I might uh, rescue you, then I might bring you to myself. It was the exact opposite. God first rescued his people out of slavery, and then he said, now this is how you should live, and among other things, have a day of rest on the seventh day. So again, the fourth commandment, it was made for God's people. It's made for us. It's made so that we can live our best lives. It's not uh, meant to be a burden or 
something that is restrictive. Well, Jesus follows up that general statement with this uh, profound statement, the, the subject, I guess, for today, the statement, the Son of Man, that's a way Jesus referred to himself, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying that he is the Lord, the boss, that he has authority, that he rules over the Sabbath. Eugene Peterson puts it in these words, the Son of Man is no yes man to the Sabbath, he's in charge. That's what it means to be Lord, to be in charge, to have authority, to, to rule over something. And if you think about it, if Jesus is in charge of the special day, the seventh day, the holy day, well, he's in charge of the other six days of the week as well. He's in charge of the whole week. He's Lord over all, you might say. Well, let's continue into chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, as we read there, on another, on another Sabbath, uh, on another day, uh, Jesus went into the synagogue and there he met this man with the crippled hand. And as we've seen, uh, he healed the man and the Pharisees uh, didn't like this. We've seen how the Pharisees reacted to Jesus. Let's spend a moment seeing how Jesus reacted to the Pharisees. So if we skip to verse 5, uh, which we read a moment ago, we'll look at this again. Jesus looked around at the Pharisees in anger and deeply distressed. Uh, it goes on. So I want you to notice here two emotions, anger, the two reactions, and deep distress. Jesus was angry. Jesus was deeply distressed. So these are, these are strong emotions. So first, Jesus was angry. Some people don't like the idea of an angry Jesus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, in the cradle, that's okay. But an angry Jesus? The idea of Jesus' wrath. But in the face of evil, Jesus cannot but be angry. Jesus saw the Pharisees for who they were, with stubborn hearts, callous people, who put their own petty point scoring above the well-being of this suffering fellow human. And because when he saw that, Jesus was angry. Now, God is not indifferent to indifference. God does not turn a blind eye to those who are turning a blind eye to others. God has told us we should love others, and if we're not doing that, God notices. God abhors evil. And so when God is confronted with evil, with wrongdoing, he is angry, and rightly so. That's not the way the world should be. And in being angry, Jesus is reflecting the very character of God. But that's only half the story, because Jesus was not only angry, he was deeply distressed. Jesus was saddened that the Pharisees were acting as they were. He was upset, hurt, grieved that the Pharisees' hearts were stubborn. The Pharisees' hearts were hard, but Jesus' heart was soft. Jesus' heart went out. He was distressed by the situation. So here we see two important aspects of the character of God. God is just. As a God of justice, God is merciful. God is ready to forgive. God abhors sin. He cannot just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. It angers him. And in the end, God will be done with it. 
But God does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Rather, God is pleased when the wicked turn from their ways and live. We sang earlier today, everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs forgiveness. We have a compassionate God, a forgiving God. God is merciful. If you turn away from your sin today, your evil, God will forgive you and you will live. 2 Chronicles 30 verse 9 puts it this way, God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you turn to him. Well, what have we found about Jesus today? And the book of Mark is about Jesus. Jesus is a central character. Mark is trying to convey to us who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. So what have we found out about this person, Jesus, from this account as retold by Mark today? Well, in the face of a lack of love, as we've just seen, Jesus was angry. Jesus was deeply distressed. In these reactions, Jesus is showing the character of God. This is how God is. We've seen Jesus miraculously healing and by a spoken command, a miraculous contactless healing. And in that, Jesus is showing the power of God. This is the way God acts through saying a word and things happen. And Jesus called himself Lord of the Sabbath. He was putting himself uh, in this place. Now, to someone who is schooled in the Old Testament, like a Pharisee, and you've heard of a couple of key passages from the Old Testament today, from, from Genesis and from Exodus, Jesus was putting himself above Moses and the law by calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus was, in fact, putting himself there at the seven days of creation by calling himself Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus was putting himself in the place of God. In the eyes of the Pharisees, this was a hanging offence. Let me end with some words from the book of Jude. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Amen.